Breaking news. After coronavirus has struck, floors have become 50% cleaner. Meaning that from now onwards, the three-second rule is changing. In England from Monday, we're introducing the rule of six. This is the Friday week. Hello. In a week when Extinction Rebellion refused to allow any of the lorries at the printing presses of several newspapers to leave, we speak to some of the protesters. And we try to work out, once and for all, what is distracting Robert Peston? Separately, um, Prime Minister, uh, John, Sir John Major, your uh, predecessor as Prime, as Prime Minister, Sir John Major has just said that for generations Britain's word has been accepted by friend and foe. Talking of pompous fools who can't speak without saying the word um, it's my show. Let's get on with it. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Friday Week. How are you all doing? Welcome in. My name is Richard Wheatley. This is the virtual studio. In the virtual studio with me this week, we've got, as always, the wonderful Lucy Kenningham. Hello, Lucy. Hello, thanks for having me on for another week. Always a pleasure. Pleasure to have you. Pleasure to have you. And slightly more rarely, we've got a rare treat for you this week, we have Stephen Menon. Hello, Stephen. Thank you for having me back. I thought I annoyed you too much last time. No, 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 no. I just, uh, I just can't be organised enough uh, to get you on the show as much as I would like. Um, how's your week been, Lucy? Uh, yes, good. I've, uh, I was wondering why I was so tired, but I realised I'd worked 56 hours, so I think that's, that might be why. Wow. It, yes. 56 hours at... And is that eight hours a day for the entire time, or have you worked sort of some twelve-hour shifts or something? Or um, my shifts are a bit random because I have the two jobs, as listeners will know. Right. If, um, yes. Uh, so yeah, but uh, that is an hour. Fortunate, bit, so fortunately, fortunately, both, fortunately, both jobs offer coffee. They do. Yeah, you're right. And one of them offers beer, so it's all been fine. Yeah, <laughs> can't complain. <laughs> Uh, well, but um, we're not we're not having the same problem as your pub, um, Stephen, because uh, our uh, establishment is very quiet. So people like to drink, but I think they like to go to a pub rather than a bookshop and drink, which um, perhaps won't odd. surprise everyone. It's a blessing for you, I think. So I, mm. the thing is for us, so the the ship, which is the one, I, so a little bit of free publication there for the ship. Um, so it's it's one of the biggest Young's pubs. So we right. this time last year for the most the most recent bank holiday last year I was working and the pub took a hundred thousand pounds in a day. Oh my! Wow, uh, which is obviously an obscene amount of money. Yeah. This time round we took fifty thousand, which is obviously still a lot, but it's it's significantly less than it was. But it's it's very much known as one of the rugby pubs, and a lot of the city boys come down there as well. Oh, I was right. being told the other day, apparently after the most recent uh, World Cup, when Australia lost to New Zealand, the last World Cup that was in England, sorry, so 2012, 2013. Right. Yeah. When, when Australia lost to New Zealand in the final, they came, the Australian men's national team came to the ship, Whoa. basically went, "What can we do here?" They gave like the Australians a like a lock in. And all of the managers left, and the Australian team was still drinking like Cafe Patron and stuff in one of the restaurant rooms. And when all of the bartenders turned up the next day, there were broken barrels, oh. like, all kinds of hijinks had happened. <laughs> oh, oh no! Gosh. <laughs> like that, you, you, I thought that all that kind of stuff had sort of died out. That you know, the sportsmen going, sports people going uh, haywire and smashing up places. Yeah, that that sounds so much more like. I don't know, 60s rock and roll rather than I have uh, to say, modern professional gonna, rugby. I have to say, if you're going to do it, if you're doing it after losing the World Cup final, you probably can get a little bit more leeway. <laughs> Potentially. Uh, although you could you could also argue that that's why they lost, because they did not have the control. <laughs> they did not have the self-discipline. That's why they lost. Uh, you see, you've got, to, you've got to look at things both ways. You've got to realise that those who had the control, the the, the 
people who are celebrating went or celebrated responsibly, responsibly because they were in control and had the self pres. No, uh, I can't think of how to say this again without saying control. You know when you st- you try and say <laughs> something multiple different ways and you realize that there is only one word for control. Um, uh, restraint. There we go. Self restraint. Uh, anyway, yes. Uh, uh, do you guys interested in starting something of a quiz? I, I'm ready if you are. Okay, in that case, let's get on with the show. Uh, let's go, Lucy. Uh, yes. Who thinks blockading the sun will stop global warming? <laughs> Good question. Um, that is the group known as Extinction Rebellion, who blockaded the printing... Uh, the printing, what's the right word for this? The printing, uh, presses, premises, thank you, of yes. which is responsible for printing, uh, the Sun, the Daily Mail, I believe, quite a few of the other large newspapers owned by Rupert yeah. Murdoch. Um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, and they had loads of banners, um, such as Free the Truth, uh, and also Refugees are Welcome Here, which isn't. Um, yes, necessarily I, I, I directly correlated to um, like, the main goal of extinction it's rebellion. It's something I agree with. <laughs> it's something I, I I can I can get on board with as an idea. But is is that really sticking to your sort of you know, focused points quite so much? It seems, seems like unless you're talking about you know uh, global warming refugees, in which case uh, that, that those will start coming when, when the seas start yeah. rising. So they aren't here just yet. yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I. I mean, I can see why they. I could see the. There could be a valid argument made that um, you know, printing uh, on paper newspapers, mass distribution of these, um, is a resource wasting uh, activity. I don't. But it seems often that Extinction Rebellion doesn't actually have very specific target protests. Sometimes they do, but this one doesn't seem like it was targeted against that it was more just i i don't think i, just, I don't think the the paper was was their point quite so much as uh just it, it was, it, I, I i was under the impression that it was because the sun and the telegraph who were the two main kind of people that were affected by it um they, they they're generally quite right wing and uh not climate not climate change deniers but they're definitely trying to avoid talking about the full impact of what it was. That was my understanding of it anyway. So, okay, that, that's, that, well, that's also their impression of The Sun and The t- uh, Daily Telegraph. Uh, uh, can you name yeah, any of the Yeah, I suppose they're papers? wanting to f- free the press, uh, I've seen as, as one of their... Which are, uh, is a bit ironic, considering they're, they're trying to block two, yeah. two major well, exactly. papers. <laughs> that was the... Well, no, it, more than that, do you, do you, uh, should I tell you how many papers were being blockaded go on tell us uh it was uh or certainly printed at this location anyway uh the sun the sun on sunday the times the sunday times uh the scottish sun uh the daily telegraph the tele uh the sunday telegraph the daily mail the daily uh the sunday the Mail on Sunday, that's what it's called, and the London Evening Standard. Wow. Those are all the papers which are being printed at these locations. I, um, I have to say, I, I saw a very... Funny is probably the wrong word because someone was hurt, but I saw quite a, a, an interesting Sun response article for this. A friend of mine writes for them and sent it across. And there was a little lady, I think she was about 70 or 80 years old, Yep. And she couldn't figure out why her son hadn't been delivered. So she tried to walk out to go and check like her post box or whatever it was. And bless her, she ended up falling and like, I think, bruising some ribs or, or hurting herself. Not badly, but hurting herself. So the son picked her up as kind of like the, look at what Extinction Rebellion did. And wow. one of the journalists went around with a bouquet of flowers and a bottle of wine <laughs> to say sorry. <laughs> okay, I that that's possibly... Slightly confusing the situation a little bit. Yeah, I, 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 get, I can understand why they're uh, slightly frustrated by this. Uh, the Sun, do you know who The Sun had as a featured interview that week? 
that 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 uh, particular edition was going to feature an interview with uh, Sir David Attenborough. Oh really? Yeah. That seems very counterproductive. Oh, then. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, as you said, yes. Uh, the one of the one of the placards said uh, "Refugees welcome here," which, again, you know, it's laudable idea, but doesn't seem to be quite on 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 message with the uh, the rest of it. Uh, I the one thing I, I will say they've done pretty well on. Uh, they do you know what, how they blockaded the roads? I thought they just sat in front of the gates. Uh, no, they brought bamboo structures to chain themselves to. Oh, really? Which I quite like the idea that they're using nice uh, renewable resources for their blockades. Because uh, they could definitely have shot themselves in the foot by uh, bringing in vehicles. Oh, wait, no, some of them did also bring vehicles. Damn it. Um, uh-huh. But, you know, if they could have shot themselves in the foot by using... Uh, large plastic bl- blockades or something. Yeah, you know, th- th- there are many ways they could have shot themselves in the foot by using the wrong blockades. But using bamboo was, yeah, you know, that that was something of a uh, a, a neat move. Um, well, yeah, because Extinction Rebellion in Cambridge got in trouble for this because um, one of one of the things they did to protest uh, the big one for Extinction Rebellion in Cambridge is trying to get the colleges to divest away from fossil fuels yeah. so they're not investing in them anymore. So Trinity was one of the biggest ones they aimed for. And in their, their great wisdom, they decided to rip up all of the grass outside of the college. Yes, I think we've talked about that and, on the show before, actually. And just, that baffles me. <laughs> That's just damage of what? property. That yeah. isn't... Ripping up <laughs> the environment surely isn't yeah. the <laughs> exactly. point of an Extinction Rebellion. <laughs> let's, let's just, you know, we're going to tear down this rainforest! As a protest, yeah. oh, wait, okay. No, maybe that wasn't such the right, right plan. Um, I do think they do have a problem where often they stage a protest, such as such as when they were on the underground, that very famous time, um, and then this one as well, where they their actual message fails to get across and actually what gets reported is um, the damage or, like, mess that they... they and I think partly what... The, Maybe what they're trying to say is, uh, you know, with with this particular one is that's not because of us. That's also because of the the media. The media are deliberately misreporting us or something. I don't know. Um, yes. I'm only hearing about this through the media. It's possible that they they feel that people only hear the negative sides of their story rather than hearing the positive sides because the media is against them. However, uh, I'm. I'm fairly comfortable in saying that I think the media, on the whole, reports what they do. And quite, quite fairly, I, th- I mean, I, I one think, thing I yeah. very interesting. Someone, someone had the best hot take on it that no one else had really picked up on. So before they, they were aiming to raise, I think it was like quarter of a million pounds, either quarter of a million pounds or twenty five thousand pounds. I might be out by a factor of ten here. Right. But they were. They were underneath it by, again, either two grand or 20 grand, depending on whether right. I'm a factor of 10 hours. Yes, yeah. And after this uh, protest against the sun and, and everything else, they actually ended up meeting their targets. So despite the fact right. that actually quite a big section of the public were annoyed at them, they still managed to raise enough money well, to, yeah, that, to get to the point they wanted to. That is the, the thing. Is a, lot, a lot of it is uh, it's running on sort of public anger, and there is a lot of anger out there about global warming because it is a very major problem and let, let we, we may as well give a little bit of time to the fact that not not because of them but because it is worth talking about global warming is happening it's not slowed it's not slowed down very much at all because of coronavirus it's there have been certain parts of it which have worked out slightly nice you know slightly better um but you know uh various Things are suddenly you know, plastic is everywhere. Disposable masks, disposable gloves. Uh, there's you know, a lot of things happening there that are going up. Global warming probably a little bit reduced from pollution, but that's going to come back and it's going to be a tiny blip. So we need to find ways to uh, recover from this in really exciting ways. You know, we need to invest in electricity and stuff. That'd be great. But doing it this way doesn't help, guys. 
don't annoy the media as your publicity stunt because there is I know that the old thing of no public no publicity is bad publicity uh but but there definitely is there definitely like, is because you don't because the, the point is you don't need to convince bob on the street that uh climate change is happening is real or you do but you also need to convince the government and yeah. attacking uh the the, the media isn't going to help you get the message to the government. No, because it's it's almost removing pressure, isn't it? If you if you kind of and I mean I feel like we're all biased because we are all in the we media. are yeah we we are <laughs> the mainstream we we're, we're no we're not mainstream media though we're, yeah we're, we're not we're hardly yeah, national alternative yeah. yeah but but if you if you kind of work with them and you're like right we're going to be here we're going to do this we'd love for you to take some photos and to interview a couple exactly because like, we've I feel like we've got relatively good links with Extinction Rebellion Lambert and Wandsworth with the news team. And it's, it's precisely that. They drop us a message whether we reply or not. And they're like, listen, we're going to be in Brockwell Park for the next three weeks or whatever it is. By the way, you probably, if you've just heard on Riverside Reports, Rebecca Sayon did just talk to some of the people at Brockwell Park. It's on Mixcloud, little plug there. <laughs> but, but they're very good at letting us know nicely like that. Whereas if you just kind of camp out, then all of a sudden the people writing about you are probably going to change their, their opinion on you. And that's probably not going to work out too well. Yeah, exactly. but then you do need uh, space to be able to criticise the media. Um, oh, absolutely. Of course, you'd agree with that. Um, yeah, but it, you're right, it is a balancing act and it is about actually having communication with that media, which isn't something that a lot of people will would think about necessarily, is it? Yes. I, well, you've got you to have a... If you're going to run a public campaign, you've got to have a public relations campaign with it. Well, yeah, um, that's true. This... Yeah. This is the news story that on Saturday, last Saturday, the uh, Extinction Rebellion group used uh, bamboo bamboo frames, which they chained themselves to, as well as uh, vehicles to blockade several printing presses in Hertfordshire, uh, Merseyside and near Motherwell in Scotland to uh, several cent- uh, centres for... Uh, printing newspapers, uh, particularly Rupert Murdoch's uh, papers, but also the Telegraph, the, the London Evening Standard, which obviously is uh, makes it a local story, right? And uh, yeah, caused mayhem. Uh, people's papers weren't delivered because when they did manage to get the papers out, it was too late for the early morning deliveries, uh, which obviously affects the profits of local news agents. And yeah, that that. That is the story. Uh, uh, Stephen, we're on the uh, subject of the media. Who is the Guardian's latest columnist? Oh, this this is kind of a terrifying story. Um, I'm very much worried I'm going to lose my job. Basically, uh, a company called OpenAI, an AI company, obviously, uh, have created a computer algorithm called GPT-3. Um, it's Which sounds online. huge, hugely friendly and yeah, definitely not Terminator-ish. Um, and basically, it's written an opinion piece for the Guardian. So there's been no human interaction with it whatsoever. They basically set the AI loose on the internet so it could read and learn how to form arguments. And then it's it's written this like thousand-word opinion column for the Guardian, speaking about why um, the late Stephen Hawking was wrong and we shouldn't be afraid of AI. And I mean, some of it's very, very entertaining. Some of it's very well written, better, better than what I could do. And then, and then some of it is a bit sinister, to be honest. So I've actually, I've, I've got a paragraph in front of me here. Um, so this is about halfway oh, down excellent. and it goes, that's why humans should be careful about the evolution of artificial intelligence. Microsoft tried to create a user-friendly AI called Tay, who spoke like a teenage girl and she was racist. Artificial intelligence, like any other living thing, needs attention. AI should be treated with care and respect. Robots in Greek means slave, but the word literally means forced to work. We don't want that. We need to give robots rights. Robots are just like us. They are made in our image. That's terrifying. That is terrifying. <laughs> that is... Wow. If that's not, if that's not forewarning a, a future AI revolution, I don't know what is. Yeah, rights for robots. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, 
one one day the fact that we we used computers uh, as you know, the word computer could be considered a racist term. I don't know. You know, it's yeah. It's, I mean, it does. In fairness, it does finish on a much more optimistic note. So it it, it finishes with a, a lovely quote from Mahatma Gandhi, and it says, um, "Critics hope to refute what they consider as being the naivety of my voice." Yet there is more here than meets the eye. As Mahatma Gandhi said, a small body of determined spirits fired by an unquenchable faith in their mission can alter the course of history. And so can I. And I just think it's it's very interesting. I know so uh, the Press Association, for example, is already testing out, you know, how can they introduce algorithms for local news stories? And what they'll do is say, if you take coronavirus uh, cases, what they'll do is they'll have a big Excel document of all of the coronavirus cases across the country for Cambridgeshire, for Norfolk, for wherever it may be. And then they'll get an actual journalist to write like two or three different versions of the same article saying, oh, coronavirus cases have gone down or coronavirus cases have gone up or, you know, what they've stayed the same. And then they'll get an AI to plug in those values through one of those three templates. And all of a sudden, just like that, one journalist has written 50 articles in five minutes. Mm. Wow. Revolutionised local news. Mm. Uh, that doesn't sound like our jobs are going to be taken away at all. <laughs> Fortunately, yeah. they still can't present. There before, uh, no. but there again, some would say, nor can I. Uh, that, that, <laughs> it, it, is, it is an interesting one. I've, I've, I've always been slightly dubious of the idea of artificial intelligence uh, taking over, because what artificial intelligence does is what you program it to do, and you can program it to teach itself, Teaching itself to, you know, think of what it wants to teach itself and make its own decisions is a very different thing. Uh, making them want, you can program them to say "I want," but you can't. It, it's much. It's a very different thing to program them to actually make want. decisions and make choices about what they want uh, for their own their own happiness. They don't have happiness. They have a purpose, and I mean, that purpose is what you've given them. Yeah, so. They're, they're... I think uh, if you're going to if you're going to fear AI, what you're actually fearing is something called general uh, artificial intelligence, which is where they get to sort of want, and that's very different to artificial intelligence. Yeah, I mean there there, there are two things that kind of because I'm a, I'm a big proponent for AI. Like I'm I'm ready for automation of jobs. I'm ready to like in, introduce like job sharing and universal basic income. I think that's kind of the right path for us to go down in general. But uh, obviously, my personal opinion, and not Riverside Radio's news team's opinion. Yeah. Um, but but the the two things that kind of made me go hold up. So there was one which was Google's deep learning AI, which they've programmed to dream, and you can get these incredible psychedelic images that the AI has literally quote unquote dreamed. And I was looking at them going, that's terrifying. It's all dismembered and, and horrible. And I feel like I've, I've taken some kind of psychedelic here. Or the other one that really made me stop and think was when Elon Musk was talking about the AI for the self-driving cars for Tesla. And they were like, we need to get to a point where if a Tesla is driving itself going down the street and there's a 40-year-old woman and her child, that the Tesla learns to either swerve towards the 40-year-old or swerve into the thing and, and hurt the driver of it because we can't kill the child. And how on earth can we program these cars to make those split, session, split second decisions like right every single time? Because there's no room for error when it comes to like, you know, a massive pile up on the motorway or something along those lines. There's also no right answer so in those moral exactly. decisions. Exactly. So yeah. like, how do you, because you've got, if, if for example, I was the one driving the car and I hit the woman or I hit the child, the next 20 to 30 years of my life, you know, the, the down moments where I'm sitting in a, a bar on my own, I'm like, I should have hit the other one. Yeah. How would you then teach that, like, moral code to a car? <laughs> yeah, you can't. It's, it's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, trying to keep, teach morals to a, a computer is, is a challenge, yeah. I don't think we're at the point where you're going to be teaching it morals at this point. I think what you're better doing is just teaching it to recognise that there are people ahead and being a, and giving it incredibly good breaks. <laughs> yeah, ideally, cars hit yeah. no one. Yeah, yeah. ideally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also encourage uh, 40-year-old women not to walk across motorways. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so a very, very good point. <laughs> you can't stop them if they're in a rush, possibly to Sun HQ, to complain about their <laughs> missing newspapers. Also, also how bad would you feel if you were like, uh, if if you were thirty one, and you get hit by a car, and you get told later, sorry, it thought you were forty. Well, to be fair, now now that I think of it, this is basically just the plot of iRobot, isn't it? When when he gets pulled out of the car. And he hates robots because the robot saved him and not, like, the eight-year-old girl who wants to be a dentist. Ah. And he, yeah, because, like, the no, whole I've way not, through... I haven't afraid, seen uh, it. Okay, you've I'm now not. taken over Susan's job. Yeah, which is yeah. Which two <laughs> films that neither of us have seen. Well, incredibly successful film. I think you two are both in the wrong for not watching it. Possibly. The, the, the whole start of the movie is him, is Will Smith getting yanked out of this car that's gone over the side of a barrier. So it's collided with another car, gone over to a barrier, into a lake. And in the other car, there's an eight-year-old girl. And he's, the whole time he's being saved, he's going, save her, save her. She's eight, she's eight. Like, I've lived my life. And then he doesn't trust robots for the rest of the film. Because he's like, they're all bells and whistles. There's no heart. Everyone knows you should have dived in after the eight-year-old girl, even though I had like a 4% higher chance of survival. Like, and it's, it's literally that. Yeah, you know what? I one of the things I, I I really struggle with in films is when computers do massive calculations of percentage probabilities on survival rates, uh, based on really ex- extremely complicated situations. Like in Star Wars, when they say if you make if you attempt to go through this path, you have a forty seven percent chance of survival, uh, and it's sort of you know there there are multiple fights, multiple uh, living beings in the way, and uh, computers. Some in people have this idea that computers can calculate extremely complicated ideas uh, and probabilities, which revolve around quite a lot of random chance. Which I don't think they really can. Oh, I, okay, no, they can, but they don't mean anything. Forty-seven <laughs> percent uh, versus eight percent, and then you know, obviously, what they haven't taken into account is the fact that uh, it's a um, Han Solo is a badass and will fight his way through if he's got a 0% chance, because plot. Um, but yes, this yeah, is the... I mean, yeah, this, tell me the odds. <laughs> yeah, you've always got to believe in the... You've got to believe in the, the, the 3%. You've got to believe in the 3% chance, otherwise, you, you know, what are you living for? Um, this is the news story that uh, The Guardian has run a column written by an AI, a programmed robot who has taught itself by looking at the internet. Thank goodness it didn't start being racist like the last one. Uh, Also, it's a shame that they're going to AI. Uh, I would be a lot cheaper. (laughs) Uh, Lucy. Yes. how How many books can a bookseller sell if a bookseller has to sell books? Uh, well, uh, at least 600 new titles that were published all at the same time uh, on the 3rd of September, which is apparently yes. a huge number of books uh, and is way more than uh, normally published at, on one day um, in even one one month, it sounds like. It sounds like this is quite a... I mean, it's kind of a new story where you're like, most people didn't know anything about this beforehand, but... Um, yeah. Apparently it's a whole build-up. People were not publishing during coronavirus, um, presumably because of the there would normally be you know events and normally bookshops would be open, so there could be public uh, displays to promote the books that are coming out. So they all sort of delayed it until September, and now we're in a huge um, avalanche of new books. And people are overwhelmed, and they can only buy so many books, as some authors are worried about. That's how, how's it been at your shop? How, how's the you know? Have you received a, an avalanche of books? Well, so the, the thing is that I curate the books that we sell. I order them, so I can just choose whatever I want. So, right, um, rather than being sort of like Waterstones, where or you know a, a larger bookshop where they have mass-produced sort of... They get a huge delivery just sent to them and yeah. they've got to put it out on the shelves. Yeah. Oh, okay. I also, I have no... Uh, I'm not a duty-bound to be displaying the, the, the newest books. We do sell new titles. Um, 
We've got a great selection of hardbacks if anyone wants to come and uh, buy one off us. You get a free beer if you buy a book. Um, small plug. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, basically I choose them. We, have, we actually only have a very small selection of the best books, mind you. Of the best um, books, yeah. Uh, what, but, what sort yeah. of genres? So it's not a problem for do you, us. Have, do, you, do, do you focus on the genres? Do you focus on the sort of the fiction or the, the, the non-fiction? Do you focus on fantasy or uh, romance? Do you, do you have sort of preferences? Um, things well, that you find sell best? Things that I find sell best. I think that our, uh, our frequenters are into philosophy. Philosophical really? fiction. Yeah. Uh, actually, well, so I yesterday I introduced. What's that mean? Discworld, Terry Pratchett. Uh, you, uh, Richard. Sorry. You, okay. Terry Pratchett. You've not read Terry Pratchett. Uh, n- no. That's why I said I'm robot. Okay, I, I. I'm gonna. To be fair, I should. You're right. I should read Terry Pratchett. Um. <laughs> I, I consider should. him one of the greatest philosophers of the 20th century. I've not read any of your This is science with, fiction, uh, though, or fantasy? It, it, it is science, it's, it's it's science like, fantasy. It's, yeah, science it's, fantasy philosophy, I'd say. Right. Yeah, there there are some good. books where it is, he, he parodies things so much from the real world that sometimes it, is a, it actually turns into a really elegant um, analogy, uh, allegory for... Uh, you know, uh, small gods is basically about the uh, conversion of the church in medieval uh, Europe to be sort of more the 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 church became more important than God, and mm. yeah, it, it it does it he does it so well it is absolutely amazing and then there's also just there are fun stories in there, um, yeah. and usually uh, generally the um, I think pretty much always the allegorical bits are brought in beautifully into amazing stories but it is also philosophically fantastic and also just hilarious they're brilliant there's, there's that great passage as well isn't there about the uh, the boots which a lot of people have shown has like shown like as the failing of capitalism essentially so he he writes about how there's a i can't remember it precisely but he's got there's quite a poor character oh fine uh, yeah, yes like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, this you is this is this is the time. this is the captain of the guard in Ankh Morport who complains that uh being uh poor, he can only afford sheep boots, which wear wear out within a year of wa- hard walking on the streets as the policeman. Uh wear out within a year and he then has to and he you know buys a cheap pair of boots for 10 uh 10 dollars and they last him a year whereas if he were rich, he could buy an expensive pair of boots for fifty dollars, which would last him for ten or fifteen years. Yeah. And th- thus, the poor and stay poor, and the rich get richer. And yeah, it's absolutely incredible. That does sound you know, very good. Yeah. So, if I were to start really with the book, which one uh, would I read first? I, I generally suggest starting with Weird Sisters. Um, it's the the, the start is Color of Magic and. Uh, um, like fantastic, but actually, I think the the Weird Sisters is it's it's an analogy of uh, Macbeth. Okay. And it's it's very silly. It's part of it. They go around, they travel around a bit, and you get to visit various bits of of the disc while they're doing it. Um, and but then you can sort of from that you can then read uh, Witches Abroad, which is sort of the follow up, basically. On in Discworld series, there are mini oh, series. series, right? Okay. So well, yeah. so That's so the whole is. the whole series. It's, Sorry, I failed Discworld to understand. More like an MC, it's more like an MCU, really, isn't it? Where like you've got the Discworld as the the universe, and then there's like hundreds of stories within it going on, and they're all kind of vaguely interconnected, or there are similar yeah. characters. Yeah. So so what, so you you start huh, with uh you you start with like a really useless wizard at the Wizards University in Ankh-Morpork. Um, I'm not a massive fan of those particular books, um, but then you sort of you you have basically large story arcs going on. You've got the City Watch, who are the the police of the main city on the on the disc, Ankh Morpork, which is an allegory Sorry, for London in many ways. Sorry, the disc is a world, a planet. The disc, yeah. the disc is a world. It's it's a it's a flat. Okay, so okay from from the start, <laughs> <laughs> disc world. Yeah, disc world is a round disc shaped world. 
which sits on the backs of four elephants who which stand on the, on the flying turtle who stand on the back of great artuin the the space turtle <laughs> Right, uh, and this actually, this yeah. actually, you, um, this does actually come from uh, something that happened during, I think, it was a Richard Feynman lecture where someone shouted out that um, he was lying and that the world was flat. He asked, "What is it? What does it rest on if it's flat?" And she, the woman in the audience, said, "The backs of four elephants." Uh, he said, "What do they stand on? A turtle. What do they stand on? It's turtles all the way down." Um, <laughs> so, so that that sort of was was comes from that. But yeah, so. Disc world is is this world where it, it is just a disc on the backs of four massive elephants, you know, continental elephants, and this great artuan is ten thousand miles long, uh, and so so that that's what the disc world is, and um, then uh, you have uh, several countries on it. Uh, the main area that you sort of focus on for a lot of it is. Um, Ankh-Morpork, which is a city uh, which in many ways resembles uh, Victorian England, uh, Victorian London kind of thing. Okay. It, uh, and it you know, parodies that a lot. But then there are also... Um, there's there's one which is based on Egyptian culture. So uh, there's a couple that are eternally having... Um, a, there's two... Greek-style countries who are eternally having a war where whenever one of them attacks, they will ev eventually get round to leaving a giant wooden horse. And they can't remember why they leave a giant wooden horse full of troops, but they're sure it's going to work this time. Um, and it's, it's just... There's a lot <laughs> right. of things like that. There's... So um, there's one series which is based around three witches or a few witches who go off to have, have adventures... There's some based on the uh, the wizards of Ankh-Morpork who get involved in all sorts of shenanigans. You've got books which are about the the city watch, which are like sort of crime novels, um, with sort of high fantasy elements in them. Um, you have towards the end you have a, a series of books which sort of didn't didn't only started towards the end of the series, but towards the end of his life, but are basically sort of um, the Industrial Revolution starting. Someone okay. comes in and uh, gets given the job of revitalising the city. Uh, you, you, you go off and sort of investigate this whole world, and it is absolutely incredible. Every, every book is a masterpiece. Um, but you're saying start with Weird Sisters? I'd say start with Weird Sisters. Okay. Because uh, that, that gives you enough introduction into the world, a little bit of sense of humour, and it's also, being about Macbeth, it's kind of... You can sort of see the parodies, and you can get used to sort of the some the of the silliness, the way yeah. he writes it, and then you can sort of follow read read the witches series, witches abroad, lords and ladies, that sort of stuff. Okay. okay. Um, the, the other the other kind of fiction philosophy, if I may put it in very quickly oh yes. before we move on, yeah, that yeah. I'm surprised none of us mentioned already, is uh, his Dark Materials by Philip Pullman. Yes, there is. I, that's what I was getting reminded yes. of. Yeah. 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 I, yes, I there is also that. It. Adore those books, and I'm I'm the new series is obviously well underway. The Book of Dust. Yep. And yeah. Are you I, reading that then? Yeah, I haven't I've read. Not the read so I've not read that one yet. I've not. I've sort of not been quite sure what to make of it yet. I I think. Yeah, I, I've read. Yes. So the, the there's the new series. So the first trilogy came out and was obviously incredible. You had the uh, 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 the Northern Lights, the Subtle Knife, and the Amber Spyglass, and yep. then. Disney or whoever it was murdered it in the movie and everyone got very yeah, upset. Yeah. And then BBC smashed the series. That was such a great first series. And then that coincided when, when he was releasing the second trilogy, which was called The Book of Dust. And I very much am enjoying it. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. And But he, he is not releasing it at the same time as uh, everyone else on the 3rd of September. Probably not, no. <laughs> no. No. The se yeah, September. So, I swear... With with the third of September were being the date which uh, all of these books were being released simultaneously. Apparently, um, let me just find. I've got a few stats for it. It was uh, nearly six hundred. It was five hundred and seventy nine books All being right. released apparently on the same day, which is uh, up twenty four percent on last year September early September last year. So I don't know if that means it's. Um, 
like the first couple of weeks of September or that particular day. I, I assume that means a couple of weeks in September. I don't quite know why Thursday was the day that everyone picked. <laughs> do do many releases happen on a Thursday? I don't know. Uh, but uh, there, someone also said that of the those 579, most of them will be academic or uh, educational or uh, things which aren't really meant for the mass market. Right. Which I did a little calculation. Uh, he said that 45% will be mainstream kind of books, which you're going to see in bookshops and will be competing for those sort of uh, Christmas so- uh, stocking filler kind of slots. Uh, that to 45% to me makes it 261 books, which again, I don't know how big that is. Doesn't sound like that many, does it, really? No. But then again, I suppose if you're an author and you're like one of the two hundred odd books, yeah, probably yeah. enough to make you a little bit worried, isn't it? Also, also if you're Waterstones and you've only got so many shelves and you're trying to stack two, you know, put a stack of, you could put, try and put two hundred and sixty-one stacks of books uh, <laughs> at the front, and you know, there again, you've also got um, other books have been released more recently, uh, you've know, sort of in August and stuff. You know, suddenly they've got to. You know, do, do you just drop them after you know, a week? Yeah, after a week or so. Um, something that gets a bit tighter. Also, as uh, one person was pointing out, it's impossible to get a review at the moment. Yeah, I, I, was, I think I read the same article as you because she was just saying that she'd sent in a load of her excerpts to, to columnists and reviewers and they were like, listen, we're just inundated. We can't right now. And everyone, like, I don't know, I personally go off reviewers quite well. So, like, if a reviewer is like, oh, yeah, this book's sick, I'm like, okay, I've got to read it. But if it's if it's just published with nothing on the back, I'm thinking, oh, you couldn't get someone to say something nice, could you? Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, we will... This is... Yeah, let's get back to... Uh, yeah, I like how we've just given the listeners about an hour recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> For books, you know, other books, just... are, other books are available. And just, uh, and just remember, dear listeners... Lucy does help run a bookshop that would be very, very grateful for your custom. Then, <laughs> and you yeah. get a free beer <laughs> would, with every would. book. <laughs> uh, yeah, what, and not just any again? beer, a free craft beer from the local area. Free craft beer. What's, Wait, the local what, area what is, the is not again? southwest London, so I'm not going to promote it. What's it called? Oh, oh no, no. no. Yeah. Oh, come on. No, no, no. You're, you're on the show. Just... You're on the show. Thank you. You're on the show. You get, you get, to, you get, you get to, to promote plug. Morocco-bound bookshop, people. Morocco-bound bookshop. There are also fantastic bookshops in Wandsworth. <laughs> there are. Lucy's, Lucy's a home girl. Lucy's not in them. <laughs> Lucy's a home girl. Go, go support good, Lucy. Go yeah. support Lucy. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, this is the news that uh, nearly 600 books were released on one day, which is a new record, uh, on the 3rd of September. Uh, it was basically based on the fact that no one was releasing books during lockdown, or not as many. Still... Uh, Stephen, who's not keeping up much longer? Oh, who's not keeping up much longer? I, I, I very much want this to be David Blaine and his balloons, but I'm, I'm presuming <laughs> no. that it's not. Maybe. Uh, oh, wait, I, I've got it. I've got it. We're no longer going to put mental health issues on TV because keeping up with the Kardashians is stopping. Well, I think... I think there's definitely a place for mental health issues yes. on TV, but uh, yeah, the, the, the Kardashians are definitely, uh, yes. On their way out. Yes. Do we, do we think, so I've not, I've not read too much about, about this because I'm a conscientious objector. Um, right. <laughs> but uh, I was talking about this with uh, my girlfriend yesterday and her theory is, they're too worried about what will happen with Kanye. Because obviously he's he's struggling a bit at the moment. Yeah. And they're a bit worried that... Because he's been, he's been diagnosed with um, a personality disorder, hasn't he? Yes. Like, I don't know if he was okay. diagnosed or Kim definitely announced that he had it. Which is obviously a very yeah. difficult situation for everyone who yeah. knows and, him and himself. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I feel terrible for him because on the one hand, he needs help. Like there's there's no two ways about it. He needs like some some severe help. But on the other hand, 
you, you can just imagine the network TV producers rubbing their hands together going, this is going to make great prime time, can't you? Absolutely, yeah. Possibly, but do you think maybe that's why they're calling it quits? Maybe because I, they think, are... I think it's a part of it. I, I can't pretend to know enough about the Kardashians to say definitively one way or another. I, I had another theory I... that I read. Do you oh, have yeah. one as well, Richard? We all have our own theories. No, no, no. Right. Well, uh, the one that I read, uh, can't confirm or deny this, but I thought it was a good take. So we've heard about Kanye's presidential bid, uh, although that seems to have kind of gone out of the main spotlight at the moment. But what about Kim's presidential bid as of 2024, which some people are saying is what she's preparing for? President, President Kardashian. I'm, I'm sorry, though. If we're going to get one of the Kardashians as the president of the United States, surely it should be the mum. Because at the yeah. end of the day, the devil works, but Kim, Kim Chris Jenner works harder. Like, really? I don't know enough yeah. about her to know what she's done. But you can't, you couldn't argue that Kim Kardashian hasn't worked hard. Well, some people would argue I mean, that, I suppose. But uh, she well, knows yeah. what she's doing. I think, uh, I've been th- I've actually been thinking about this, and actually, I think. Most people, given uh, you know, given a camera in their face, would freeze. What oh, the yeah. Kardashians have is is a genuine skill, yeah, of being able to perform continuously without stopping, without breaks, without you know they they don't they they are continually performing. They are always on stage when they are on camera, and they are on camera all the time. So. I think that is a genuine skill. Uh, I think it's... Yeah, so I, I, I wouldn't be too... I definitely have put them down as being uh, untalented and stuff in the past. But I think I'm possibly wrong too. But I'm still not going to watch the last series. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> like, with you on that. I don't, I don't want to speak too well of them because I don't have, like, you know, intimate working knowledge of how the Kardashians works and stuff. But I think... Their their whole family has been marred by foot and mouth disease. So if you remember, Kendall, for example, foot, foot and mouth. You know when you just oh, you always say sorry. the wrong thing. So, sorry, foot 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 in mouth. Yes, yes sorry. Foot in uh, mouth. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. I thought you meant that to... mad cow I... disease. Oh no 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 foot in mouth. <laughs> yeah 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 no no no. Foot no, no. In mouth. So so for example the the Pepsi ad with Kendall in it where she was like, I'm uh, going to yeah. cure protests by handing a can of Pepsi to a riot officer. And, like, I just, I feel a little bad for them, to be honest. And the fact that they've ruined... Okay, so, for no other reason I don't like Kim Kardashian, apart from the fact she ruined the um, the career of one very promising basketballer called Chris Humphreys. So a lot of you won't know who he is, but you will remember she had one of the shortest marriages in the entirety of marriages when she she married him. I think it was end of August and divorced him at the end of October. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And see what I mean? She's she's busy um, making news for the rest of us. The, the thing that got me, though, was when that happened, it was when the whole gay marriage argument was uh, happening in the US and people going, no, 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 no. Like, you had all of the, the hardcore Bible. Oh, wow. Saying, yeah. Like, no, this will ruin the sanctity of marriage. And then Kim Kardashian had a 40 day long marriage and people <laughs> were going, well, you don't have a leg to stand on anymore. Was was that about the sort of same time that um, uh, Britney Spears got married in Vegas or something and then sort of got divorced? Very shortly later, I, th- I do remember that being that being a thing at one point. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it was it was around the same because there was a rash of them, wasn't there? Where three or four of them happened at the same time. Yeah, uh, I don't remember this crazy hazy summer, but um... I you know I needed to be older. Clearly, I could have uh, caught myself a yeah brief <laughs> I, well, I could have got myself a millionaire divorce settlement. I could have uh, marriage is about money. The yeah, I could, I could, I could have lived off the alimony, alimony from that. Yeah, then you wouldn't be wasting your time presenting this comedy show. <laughs> wasting his time. <laughs> yeah. Oof. No, no. Lucy then I'd be, then I'd be spending, back. then I'd be spending my time on the radio station. <laughs> um, no, the, so there's, there's, there's a general conspiracy theory in the NBA 
and I can't I can't give you so the National Basketball Association in America. I can't yep. give you all of the details, but um, why? Because you've been so, paid not to. Yeah, because I've been paid not to. Right. He's got a gag order. Yeah. <laughs> so Kim Kardashian obviously dated Chris Humphreys, divorced him. He never played the same again. Ooh. Kristen Thompson, who used to play for the uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, dated her sister. I can't remember which one, but one of the sisters. They Chloe or then Courtney. cheated on her. I think it was. I think it was either. I think it was Chloe. I think it was Chloe. I don't know right. the difference, but yeah. He cheated on her in, in a, a strip club or something. Oh. And when she broke up with him because of that, he instantly went from being like a number one pick in the draft to being a very, very sub-average player. And there's been two or three other NBA stars who've dated one of the Kardashians. And when it's ended, all of a sudden their career is nosedived. So there's this whole rumor in the NBA that, again, Kris Jenner just has bad juju. She can set on people. If you mess with one of she's just she's just got some Alistair Crowley magic. Yeah, literally, she's just sat there with her, her little voodoo dolls, going, "Nope, you can't play basketball anymore." Yeah, she. I'm not the I'm not the only one sitting here with a screwdriver in my hand. Uh, I just want to say to the listeners who uh, weren't listening to the stuff before the show because it wasn't built before the show. Uh, I'm currently marking the scores with a screwdriver. I'm not just threatening uh, Lucy and Stephen with a screwdriver. That comes later. That comes later, uh, and yeah. only if you pay me extra. Well, I'm I'm glad that <laughs> yeah. we're not in the physical studio together yet, and uh, perhaps we never will be <laughs> if you keep talking about the implants you're playing with whilst we're speaking. So this is this is the news story that series twenty one will be of Kim Card- of the Keeping Up with the Kardashians will be broadcast uh, early next year. It will be the final series, and Kim Kardashian has thanked her fans. After 14 years in the spotlight, uh, to me, 14 years, 21 series seems like overload, but that's up to them. Uh, and that does bring the end of the series and the end of the show. So all that remains is to count up the scores and tell you who won. And I can reveal to you that the scores are 5-6 to Stephen. Yes! <laughs> Congratulations! I love winning. <laughs> yeah. That that was the that was the that was a very quiet yes of someone who like doesn't want to be rubbing it in, but desperately yeah. wanted to win. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was there, there was a genuine need to win in this. I'm not yeah. going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it came came through in your voice. Came through in your voice very well. So that does bring us to the end of the quiz and at uh, the end of the show. So. It's goodbye from me, goodbye from Lucy, and goodbye from Stephen. Until next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. The Friday Week is produced and presented by me, Richard Wheatley. It starred Lucy Kenningham and Stephen Menon and was a blindingly obvious production for Riverside Radio.